let's just start the episode. Um, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It is. Uh, it should be Thursday, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's when we're recording it. It's uh, Henry Zamoda and Daniel... Did I say Daniel? You, you like said Danny it again, Mark. dude. <laughs> Danny Abdul-Jabbar. I'm sorry. Abdel-Jabbar. Man, I to... <laughs> Abdel-Jabbar. I mean, I've known you for years, and I still say your basic your name's right that's okay um, in the last episode wrong. you said henry zamodi so it's fine <laughs> i can't even get my own name right so that's <laughs> that's a tr- that is a uh, very big problem when you're when you're podcasting if you can't pronounce especially when we do such so many things in the middle east you know how are we supposed to pronounce these names these arabic names and not be able to at the same time i can't even pronounce my own name so <laughs> i think we is... spend a little bit more time focusing on how to pronounce the Arabic names that we do on our own. So, <laughs> Well, what I'll do is that I'll actually throw the name into YouTube and um, I'll listen to somebody else mispronounce it. So I'll just copy <laughs> them. If I'm, I'm sure, if I'm unsure about a name, I'll throw the name into like some type of pronunciation thing and then I will, it will still be right. Uh, I'll still be wrong. Um, <laughs> it was not funny. This wasn't funny, obviously, but something that was, Kind of funny, I'll just say it. When Jamal Khashoggi, oh yeah, uh, unfortunately was murdered. Yeah, um, there were some people who would call him Yashogi, like Jamal Yashogi. Mm-hmm. So whenever I would talk or, to them, I'd be I like, heard a yes. lot of uh, Kashishki. <laughs> Kashishki, that's not the right one. I think the real way is Yashogi. So whenever I would speak to somebody who is just a lot more well versed in Arabic, um, they would always refer to him as. I'd be like, yeah, so Jamal Khashoggi, like, yeah, so Jamal Yashogi, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm mispronouncing that incorrectly. But there's a lot of there's a lot of names in the Middle East that you can kind of you get confused, and people pronounce different ways. Um, um, Cutter and Qatar is a big one. <laughs> yeah, how do you say that's it? That's a lot. Yeah, how do yeah. you say Cutter or Qatar? Uh, I move between the two. It, <laughs> I don't. I'm not consistent on my pronunciation of Cutter Qatar. You know what's funny? I do the same thing. I, I move between the two. I'm not, like, married to one of the pronunciations of yeah. Qatar. I think yeah. right now I'm on a Qatar thing. Qatar? Uh, Qatar. I'm gonna call it. But I'll go a couple of weeks when I call it Qatar. So Cutter. I don't know which one's right, Qatar or Qatar. Tell us in the comment section. Yeah, Qatar or Qatar. Like, Qatar as in, like... Cutting her? Or cutting her or guitar like, like in, guitar with a k <laughs> <laughs> i don't know which one's right um all right so what is today we are talking about the stolen painting well not stolen what am i talking about it wasn't stolen it was purchased um the salvador mundi am i pronouncing that right salvador mundi <laughs> salvador is not mundi all right the salvador mundi Salvatore sure Mundi. Are you sure about that, Danny? It's yeah, not dude, Mundi. It's it's, Ital- it's Italian. You're you're Amer- you're anglicizing it right now with Mundi. Mundi. Oh. Okay. The Salvador Mundi. So um for people who aren't familiar with it, so the Salvador Mundi is this really beautiful painting of Jesus uh dressed up in Renaissance gear. And uh it was apparently it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the fifteen hundreds. It was uh Evidently. Evidently, I think there was some back and forth between uh-huh. who was the actual artist of it. Is that right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I saw like a Vox thing on this like a long time ago. And uh, it was like this art historian dude. And it's actually really funny. He was like ripping on it, saying that it wasn't. And the main reason he gave why it wasn't 
um, a, a true Leonardo was because all of Leonardo da Vinci's paintings of human beings are, are always like to the side or like turned or some shit like that, you know, like they're never just full on front facial. And he was also pointing out something about the guy's uh, the hair on the painting uh, didn't look like um, the hair in other Salvador, uh, in other Leonardo da Vinci um, paintings. So I actually went back and, and watched the video before this uh, episode just to you know get a refresh on like why people were saying that. And it evidently Vox News uh, just updated the name of the uh, <laughs> of the video to why the Salva- uh, the Salvador Mundi has gone missing, even though that video has nothing to do with Salvador Mundi going missing. And this was made months ago and it was made and posted months ago before it went missing so i'm like you're just clickbaiting right now i didn't really love that and what's even funnier is that in like the first post on the top like the top link that you uh in the comments that they that they uh, pinned was a video uh on the same topic the salvador mundi but it's like a different guy saying that it definitely is leonardo da vinci so I'm unclear. <laughs> I'm not sure. Where, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? <laughs> well, whatever it is, it was branded as a Da Vinci. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's all that matters. Either that way, the, at this it, point, it was da Vinci it's, it's worth four hundred and fifty million dollars. It doesn't matter who painted it. At this point, it's the most expensive piece of art. So yeah, it could be by michelangelo leonardo it can be by any anyone um, it could be by some random like peasant in the 14th century 15th century that just was good at painting (laughs) yeah it really could have been anyone but it it, apparently it's a da vinci it was sold as a da vinci like the person who bought it um spoiler alert it was mbs uh the person who bought it bought it because it was a da vinci painting it wasn't because it was some random peasant in the (laughs) middle of italy Um, right like my my uh great aunt was a wonderful wonderful painter she was a, she had she's just great painter beautiful works of art she wasn't a leonardo da vinci so her paintings aren't worth millions and millions of dollars unfortunately right. for me i wish she was but unfortunately <laughs> no she i think she came from a bunch of peasants in poland to be completely honest <laughs> so <laughs> maybe her ancestors studied under leonardo da vinci because apparently one of those um one of the uh, uh, um, ideas is that perhaps it was done by one of Leonardo da Vinci's students in his studio, and like maybe he helped him, but it definitely was, it wasn't his. I don't know. There's a bunch of like conspiracy theories about it. It's like uh, birtherism for the art world. Well, regardless, the painting is a breathtaking painting. Oh I think, yeah, it's still... I think we can both agree with it. It's a beautiful uh-huh. painting of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, you know whether you're Christian or not. It's just a, it's a very fine painting. You can tell that there was a lot of work, um, absolutely, and not only the original painting but also the restoration of the project. Yep. Yep. Um, the team, I, I believe, when they got this painting, because it passed down from centuries. Like this was this is when you think about a piece of art coming from the 1500s, right, and making its way up to now. It's not a stone marble. Like it's a piece of paper. At the end of the day, it's a piece of partridge or whatever you put paintings Parchment. on. Partridge Parchment is a bird. Par- <laughs> partridge family. Um, what do you what do you paint on? Canvas? What yeah. do they paint on back in the day? So it's a piece of essentially paper that has to travel through time. Um, you have to imagine how difficult it is to make it in, in one tact. 
Like, I can't write a note on my desk without snot being smeared on it <laughs> five minutes later. So, they had to do a lot of restoration. I think the the background of this painting is that it was commissioned for, um, apparently this is a story, you know, who knows what the actual story is. But this is the Wikipedia version story. This is the, as much research as I as I really did on, the, on this, the Wikipedia version. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was uh, commissioned to, to uh, for Louis the Twelfth of France, uh-huh. um, and it was in the possession of the French royal family for a while, and then through the marriage of Henrietta Maria and Charles I of England, uh, it went into English possession, and it just passed down from from uh, I guess person to person to I guess whoever thought it looked nice in the in the in the castle until it ended up in. Uh, a collector's hand in the 19 the early 1900s who in the painting this is a funny part the painting was auctioned off in 1958 for guess how much not a whole lot in dollars just just guess uh well you made a video on it earlier so i think it was like what 60 bucks or something like that 45 pounds this wow. thing was auctioned off for forty-five pounds in nineteen fifty-eight. That's sixty dollars modern-day money, um, adjusting it for inflation. That is adjusted for inflation. No, without adjusting it for inflation, that's uh, just forty-five that pounds. One, one, what, what from the fifties? Well, it's far less than four hundred and fifty million dollars. That's the point. Oh yeah, I know. But for the sake of accuracy, let me Google that. Um, it was. Uh, 1950 to 2017, one British pound. Calculate. It's uh, 32 British pounds. So if, if it was 45 British pounds, that's 1,465 British pounds. And uh, that is how much in dollars for our Americans. How much in dollars? I'm about to find out right now. It's, it's $1,931. So just under 2000 bucks. Damn. It's good money for back then, but not that's that. great money for back then. But damn, inflation sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we went from six. We went from what? Nineteen? Did you say nineteen hundred? Or did I hear you wrong? Nineteen hundred bucks. You nineteen hundred to six. Nineteen hundred to sixty dollars. Yep. In that's 50, a that's a years. problem of itself. Yeah. But damn, that's that's a striking number. But whatever, nineteen hundred dollars. All right, someone made a quick buck off of it. It's like pawning off your your car if you're desperate for money we've all been there right well i mean i feel like it would be more than pawning off your car because you got to remember while while that's the equivalent today the cost of living was much less than two so like everything costs less than two so i I wonder what that what the buying power of you know that 45 dollars 35 pounds was in the 50s i'm sure you can get a whole lot more uh then with 45 pounds than you could today with 1900 us dollars yeah well whatever it is it's far less than what it was what it was worth the value oh, of the painting with, after its restoration but <laughs> yeah the painting ends up somewhere and um it somehow ends up in this uh i believe a in a state in baden in um louisiana mm-hmm. and it's sold off at an auction for ten thousand dollars and I think this is 2005. Nice little profit. All right. 
So that's a, that's a good profit. I mean, the yeah. person I think who probably owned the painting probably passed away. So it was a nice little it was an estate package sale. in the estate. But mm-hmm. I guess this this painting, and I looked at the pictures of the painting in its uh, 2005 form. It looked very different. It looked it didn't Crude. look like it was holding up too well. But I guess it had this mysticism about uh, of being a Da Vinci piece. So everyone's like, oh, it's a Da Vinci piece. It's a Da Vinci piece. So. The painting ends up being restored, and they do a a, a wonderful job. Um, I just want to shout out the lady who did it because she, her team did it so well that she deserves recognition for it. Um, Diane uh, Modestini, mm-hmm. I believe, was a lady in charge of it. I think she's based out of NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, but her team, they made this thing look like it was straight out of the, the, the Louvre. Like it looks like the Mona Lisa. So they restored it, and it looks. I mean, just Google it. It's fucking awesome. I gotta yeah. stop cursing. I've been I've been uh, critiqued for that. Um, <laughs> so this thing is uh, so fully restored. It's sold at a exhibit in 2017, and it sells for 75 million dollars. So we're going from a jump from 10,000 to. 75 million. million. That's 75 huge. million. Yeah, that's huge. After after the restoration takes place. Just that's based off the mysticism of it being a Da Vinci piece, which I mean, I have I have no idea. I'm not I have no expertise in art or anything like that. But so it jumps up in price and um I guess this guy who or who or whatever group bought this painting um they were trying to push it, and they ended up selling it for four hundred and fifty million dollars to a Saudi prince, and that's where we are today. And that's where we're at today. And um, the Saudi prince, the spoiler alert, wasn't purchasing it. I guess the Saudi prince came in and said that he was purchasing it on behalf of uh, like the a, a Saudi culture and exchange program. Mm-hmm. And I guess this the Saudi culture and exchange program, um, their intention was to place the painting in the the Louvre Abu Dhabi, right? Which is I didn't know there was a Louvre in Abu Dhabi, but apparently they the Louvre uh, they license out their their trademark, so you can open up a Louvre anywhere. I'm gonna make but, the Louvre Bushwick, <laughs> the Louvre Bushwick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they uh, it was supposed to be there. I guess that was gonna be his primary home. And um, it ended up, it was revealed pretty soon after that, that um, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, was the guy behind purchasing it. Like he, he's the one who financed it, which I mean, basically means like the Saudi state financed it. You know what I mean? Like he's right. the crown prince, so the Saudi state bought it. Um, and I'm guessing... That when you purchase a painting like this, the mindset that you go, that you, you you have is that you're 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 spending four hundred and fifty million dollars, but you're doing it for the world. You know, you're you're doing your vision is to 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 purchase this and and have it shared with the rest of humanity because it's such a priceless piece. Is that kind of is that the mindset you think people have when they buy things like this, or or I, they're just throwing I have in a room and I safe? honestly have trouble just wrapping my head around buying anything for $415 million, let alone a, a fucking painting that may or may not be a Leonardo da Vinci painting, albeit a beautiful painting. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if 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 they if they were bought under it was purchased under kind of like false pretenses, right? Like clearly it wasn't being purchased for the Saudi arts and society and culture organization, whatever the hell it was called, because where the hell is it? Nobody knows where it is now. <laughs> so I think, you know, he might've been just trolling the world being like, I'm going to buy the most expensive. I'm going to, I'm going to make this the most expensive painting in the world. And I'm just going to troll everybody and make it go missing right after. Well, that would be a pretty big asshole thing to do now. Wouldn't it be? <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially considering it like basically went, dis- it disappeared for like a couple hundred years went and nobody knew about it for a minute. Right. So, I mean, I always imagine that if you're actually buying a piece, I mean, $450 million as of right now, I feel like would be the absolute max that a painting can go <laughs> in like the next however many years. Like that's the most expensive. I don't even know what the second most is. I probably should have looked that one up. <laughs> However, $450 million, um, I don't think you're finding another buyer for that. You know what I mean? Like, are you going to find someone who's going to offer you $700 million for a painting? Is Jeff Bezos going to want to buy that? Maybe. Nah. Who knows? I don't think Jeff Bezos would do that. I don't think so either. <laughs> but so Mohammed bin Salman is the guy behind purchasing it. So I guess for all intents and purposes, a property is his. And it was supposed to be displayed in the Abu Dhabi Lee, uh, the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Leaf. Um, so many difficult words today. Um, the Louvre in Abu Dhabi, but it disappeared. They don't know where it is. And the issue is, is that the Louvre in Paris is supposed to have this big exhibit mm-hmm. for the uh, the 500 year anniversary of Leonardo da Vinci's death. That's right. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be this big exhibit where they're going to, I guess, display all of Da Vinci's work. I mean, it is what I think it's going to be what it sounds like. And that's going to be one of their centerpieces. And the Louvre France is saying to the Louvre Dubai, like, are you joking? Like, where's the painting? Where's the (laughs) where is the painting? (laughs) This is this. This is huge because the Louvre is the most prestigious museum in the universe. You know, so it's like where the hell is this painting there's going to be millions and there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people who visit paris to see the see that exhibit you right. know how many leonardo da vinci condosaurs in this world are like where is that painting that's probably that's so much money that they're probably losing if they don't have access to this painting just think about all the travel and all the people who are going to want to see that exhibit right yeah it's so, going to move around it's going to it, move it, a lot of people and a lot of money around you know Exactly, it's gonna move, it's gonna move a lot of cash around in Europe. Um, like if you were in Paris at this time, like you would have to see it. It would just be like we need to see that exhibit. So the but, paintings, they don't know where it is. Uh, so I, I guess I I don't know. I'm at I, my is open question. Where do you think the painting went? <laughs> I mean, where do you think the painting went, Danny? I feel like. I feel like it was never meant to go into a Louvre at all. I feel like that was just like a stunt. I feel like it was akin to... Did you hear about this, uh, The you know, Banksy, the graffiti artist? You familiar with this guy? Yeah, I love. I like Banksy a lot. Yeah, so like Banksy did a uh, like a piece of art. It was like a little girl holding a heart balloon. And it auctioned for $1.4 million, which was tied for his other most expensive artwork that he auctioned. And, and, and literally... 
as soon as the the auction closed it was rigged to shred itself so basically it ran through like a shredder and he just trolled the shit out of somebody and they bought a 1.4 million dollar like just shredded piece of paper this could be like one-upping banksy like mbs could just be like oh that banksy guy he he i I like that that was hilarious i'm gonna make i'm gonna i'm gonna do something better i'm gonna buy this painting for 450 million dollars and just make it disappear wait wait (laughs) banksy did that to somebody no 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 well yeah i guess somebody did buy it um so he uh what an asshole thing to do (laughs) are you kidding me someone spends over a million dollars on a piece of your art and then you just you self-sabotage it so it (laughs) self-destructs in their hand yeah, yeah, that's, he, just, he's, that's uh, horrible. <laughs> he was making my some opinion kind of, of Banksy point, is you know? really <laughs> is is going down the tubes. <laughs> How do you do that to somebody? They spend over a million dollars on a piece of your art. You're gonna self sabotage it yeah, just dude, to troll them. You gotta you gotta see this video of it. It's like it's in this like big frame, right? And then the second that you know the the thing is over, it just moves through the you know the thing comes out of the bottom of the frame and it's just like shredded like you know straight lines or whatever i suppose you could reconstruct it but um but yeah who purchased it ah that's a good fucking question um was it a saudi prince (laughs) if it was that'd be hilarious is it Um, like payback well evidently um (laughs) that would be hilarious you know, I'm not seeing who bought this. Dude, stuff. if it was a Saudi prince, that would be hilarious. All right, let's uh, let's just let's just peddle that that piece of bro history, uh, and say that uh, he it sold was a it. Saudi prince. Yeah, it was bought a Saudi Banksy, prince. And yeah, it's, it's, re- it's a revenge. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I have zero clue. It just it seems like it's 450 million dollars worth of collateral for something like it's like a really really valuable asset to have, but. I mean, a painting, like, the volatility on that is, like, it, art is only worth how much someone would buy for buy it for, you know? Like, what if somebody finds out that Da Vinci was, like, a pedophile or something? <laughs> like, the value would go down. No one would want it anymore. So, I, I don't... Or men shit. It doesn't seem like a stable... I don't know anything about art. Maybe, maybe it would go up. You never know. Maybe it would. Maybe maybe it would. Most artists are, are sickos, um, but uh, not to throw that thought out there, but uh, it's probably in Mohammed bin Salman's uh, $500 million yacht. Probably. Or his uh, $300 million chateau in France. I just, um, I just learned something literally right now, so I'm trying to find this fucking who bought this Banksy painting and the only thing i could find so far is that it was it was uh um so it was shredded by a remote control by a person in the sales room but i literally cannot find who bought this so and if if i remember from when they purchased the the um the salvador mundi it was over the phone like had it had an auction guy in the room and they called him up over the phone. I don't know how I'm making this connection here, but I don't know. I'm starting to feel like I'm starting to feel like this this might be this might be a thing. You think it's like Ocean's Eleven where he when he was robbed when Aunt, you see Ocean's Eleven? Have yeah, you seen it? Yeah. His big his one of his big concerns after he was robbed was uh, it getting out in public because he didn't want to be publicly embarrassed <laughs> that he was a. Uh, that he was suckered. 
I mean, maybe. Who knows? Hey, it, it seems. I mean, that's definitely a suspect. If you're gonna, if you're gonna draw a list of suspects of somebody who bought a high priority piece of art that self who it would probably be a Saudi prince but uh maybe maybe it was Banksy was uh doing it for political purposes because you know Banksy's like a huge anti-war guy you know right and he he's a big activist uh maybe he was protesting the Saudis and he knew they were gonna buy it and he did it on purpose as a protest to the Saudi regime or the Saudi dynasty you think so? Huh? I uh, think, are we on to something? I, I I think this is it, man. Is this, is this, this investigative is, journalism? I think so, man. I think we just broke the newest news story ever. We're, we're tying in, like, street art, Banksy, you know, to MBS, Saudi Arabia. They're related somehow. I think it's all – it has to be related. I think this is – I think Russia is in there too somewhere. Oh, they have to hard be. enough. Russia's I mean, got to be in this. This is such a juicy story. You know, it probably has Rachel something Maddow. to do with <laughs> – Rachel Maddow, do you want your ratings to go up? Pick this story up right pick, now. Pick, have us on the show. We'll, we'll gladly come on to, to explain our, our findings. Rachel, 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 you got to look at the art. You got to look at the art. You got to follow, follow the paper trail. <laughs> Follow the How shredded paper in- trail. <laughs> How do we get Trump in here? Uh, well, you can't get Trump in there because Trump is tight with MBS. Oh yeah, that, that's an easy that's an easy correlation. You, you know what's funny though? After all this kind of all this RussiaGate with all this this collusion stuff between apparent collusion between Trump and Putin, they could have they could have uh, it would have been much easier to to draw up the lines between the collusion between Trump and MBS. Like there was a direct collusion right there that was in plain sight. Yeah, and no one ever wanted to talk about it. His son, his son-in-law, is good friends with the MBS. Um, he regularly makes visits to Riyadh. Mm. They're drawing the the the, the Israel Palestinian peace plan together. Yeah, sure. Like you could have looked, you could have looked there. It would have been a lot easier to find. You know some what? The, some you know what the difference is? Colluding force. You know what the difference is? Saudi Arabia is an ally of ours, and. We're cool when you collude with allies, evidently. There's a lot of reasons. Saudi Arabia, they buy a bunch of weapons from us. They allow us to put bases in their country. They control the world's oil supply. I mean, there's many reasons why we work with the Saudis. Well, if we're talking about Kushner collusions, you know, we also pointed out in an earlier episode that uh, the Kushner family is pretty tight with, uh, with Bibi. So there's also that. Yeah, that is true. They are very tight with BB. They're all actually tight because BB and Netanyahu are friends as well. Mm. I don't know. I think we're going somewhere with this one. We're untangling the web, man. I'm starting we're to... untangling. This is really how investigative journalism works, though. They just think <laughs> of conspiracy theories. Like, obviously, what we're saying right now, there's no evidence of what we're saying right now, and it's yeah. pure speculation. We're kind of making Full this like disclosure. a fun. This is a fun story to talk about, and we're just kind of imagining things. But um, I think it's interesting. I think it would be really cool. I think if we if that ended up being like the story that came out, if somebody just did an actual investigative piece on this whole mystery of where's this painting, and mm-hmm. they discovered that it was a plot to 
it was it, they bought this painting and made it go poof because they were taking revenge out on the Banksy painting that they were suckered into buying and self-destructed. <laughs> I think that would make a a crazy movie plot. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's write that script. <laughs> yeah, let's start writing it today. Don't steal it. Um, okay, so. Speaking of the Saudis, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Yemen mm. because I've been contacted a couple times or numerous times have been contacted uh, for some of the videos and some of the podcasts that uh, we've put out regarding Yemen. And I'm actually kind of thrilled about it because that means that there's a demand for con- the, the uh, knowledge of what's going on there. And uh, there's really not enough people who are interested in the situation going down. I think that's really the problem. And... Uh, I think the issue is, we were talking about this earlier with Yemen, is that the theatrics aren't documented in this war. That's right. So Syria was all over the news. Mm. Everyone knew about Syria over the past five, six years. Mm -hmm. And the reason why people knew about Syria was not because they were interested in another Middle Eastern war. Uh, It was because of the the theatrics of ISIS and a lot of the rebel groups there. And it was very well documented. It was documented on a regular basis. These videos were on YouTube. There'd be videos of people being thrown off buildings and beheadings and organs being eaten. And just, it was just a bunch of things that were documented. Yemen, that stuff is actually going on as well. Um, The same type of brutality, the same type of carnage is going down Yemen. Mm -hmm. It's just that, it's I, I think there's this overall lack of documentation on it. So I think the story doesn't really get out there. And uh, because there's really a lack of interest there, there is the mainstream media can really just paint a very oversimplistic narrative on this war, which is a which I think is a huge problem because um, when people speak about this war, they paint this in a brush. Uh, broad brush strokes. A right. broad brush in the common narrative, unfortunately, is that it's a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and uh, that's not the case. From from what I've looked into, I I understand how you can make that connection of it being a proxy war, but it's not, it's not really a proxy war. The war is a or the Houthi movement is an organic Yemenis movement. It's not Iran. It, there, there might be some connection there just because they're Shiites, but it's not a, there, there's, it's not, the Houthis aren't Hezbollah. You know, they're not, yeah, they're that's, not that's the same a superficial thing. look. You know, the connections I think are there, but they're, they're not the motivating factors that the driving reasons why this war is going on and why it's persisting for so long and why it's frankly so terrible. And like many, like all wars, there's never just one reason, you know. Right. Um, when you look things up and and you try to take a get a grasp of what's actually going on, um, there's always people who have like the answer, like oh, it's because of this or that or that. And you know, a lot of the times, all these people are right, but it's always a combination of these things. Like you know, that I can go on about the reasons why I think there is a U.S. coalition behind Saudi Arabia, and basically declaring war on the civilian population in Yemen. Um, I can go on for the geopolitical reasons, um, you know, be, is it because there's oil offshore, mm-hmm. because there's pipeline, um, port there's, access, uh, pipeline concerns, there's port access. There's, um, there, there's, they, they want to have a hedge against Iran. If they close, a, uh, close the Strait of Hormuz, mm-hmm. there's so many different reasons that they all add into it. You know, they're, they're 
there's not just one reason why there's there's war there. So I think the most important thing to concentrate on is uh, just understand that it's going on and uh, knowing what the current status is um, domestically in the U.S. Um, right now, we're at a point where both houses have voted to end the aid to the Saudi war in Yemen. Both houses have. However, they haven't passed the same resolution. So it hasn't gotten on Trump's desk yet. That's right. And what I think is not by accident. There are, there are, unfortunately, there are forces that are intentionally sabotaging the momentum that these bills had. And, um, you know, like in December, we, we've talked about this a number of times. In December, there was the Senate passed a bill um, led by Bernie Sanders and Mike Lee mm-hmm. and uh, and Chris Murphy. That that resolution, remember that? Yep. When Mike Lee got on TV and he's like, uh, him and Bernie, I, I forgot who they're being interviewed by, but Bernie goes on and Mike Lee is like, I think I feel the burn. It was like, it was a nice form of... Uh, Damn right you feel the burn. Bipartisan. <laughs> It was it was a nice form of bipartisan co- uh, yeah. cooperation between a Bernie rare, Sanders and Mike Lee, a, a rare, rare one as well. Cooperation, yeah. But what happened was that after it was it was passed in the Senate, um, but the House the, the House blocked it. Um, Paul Ryan blocked the vote, mm-hmm. and he did it with the help of Democrats. So stopping the bill was also also bipartisan. So it's not just a Republican or Democrat thing, even though it is mostly Republicans at this point. I'll be completely honest. Um, I'll call a spade out when there's a spade. And um, that was a perfect time to actually pass the resolution because there was, you know, there was a handful of Republicans on board, but it got, it got, it didn't go anywhere. So after the House flipped to Democrat, when, when when Nancy P came on board, yeah, when Nancy P came on board, uh, they should have been able to have a clean vote. But what happened? Here is the here is what happened. It's this is like a very very manipulative and kind of gross political game to play when you think about this. Um. They were going to pass the bill and all this stuff, and like they had the votes, but the Republicans added irrelevant language to the bill about mm. anti-Semitism. Yeah. yeah. And everyone at the time in the House was like, okay, whatever, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, put it in the bill. But it messed up the bill for the Senate. So when the Senate looked at it, they were like, we can't work with this because the language isn't relevant. That's right. Because the bill has to go through the House and the Senate. Right. And the big thing was, was that, because they added that extra language, it was no longer pri- uh, privileged under the War Powers Resolution. Therefore, that Mitch, Mitch McConnell could then block it. Mm. So if they had voted on a clean, no more, you know, Yemen aid, that would have fell under this that same provision, the War Powers Provision, right? Yeah. And the main point of using a war, the War Power Resolution is to be able to— for, uh, they want to force a vote regardless of the majority leader. Right. Like, that's the purpose of the War Powers Resolution, to force a vote. Like how, is that yeah. remo- how is that remotely okay? And, and you know, and coming in, coming back to this Yemen thing, you know, be on whatever side as you want of, of the Russiagate scandal. That that was interest. That's an interesting thing to block 
for political reasons, but like, why would you want to block voting on stopping foreign aid to a war that's going on that's absolutely terrible, that has severe human consequences? Well, when you look into it and when you start like putting the pieces together, it starts to become very clear. Like, I guess we're going to talk about it. Um, so in the bill, there was anti-Semitism language in the bill, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, let's be clear. It was a completely political game. Mm-hmm. Um, House Republicans were trying to divide Democrats on support for Israel. That mm-hmm. was the strategy. Mm-hmm. To defeat the bill, they wanted to say, all right, Democrats have the majority right now. We're going to have to get them by dividing them based off Israel. That's a taboo topic that we can probably split the, the Democrats in half with. So this was also an attempt by the Republicans to, to win some Jewish votes as well. Why not? Because APAC just happened. And if you right. watch anything from APAC, it was just all accusations of anti-Semitism from the Republican Party on the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um you should have saw this one. So Mo Brooks, who's a Republican congressman from Alabama, he literally read Mein Kampf. I saw that, yeah. On the House floor. I saw that. To compare Democrats. That was cringeworthy. And the media to Nazi propaganda. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's bizarre. Yeah. But what's really interesting I, I found um, so I don't like most the Republican base doesn't agree with this. Like this isn't they're not crazy, especially that main base that w- was behind that kind of was like the engine for Donald Trump. That's right. And the the, the base I'm talking about are like the Breitbart type um, Breitbart kind of nationalist right. kind of base that that really voted him in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say populist base. Um, they're they're not down with it. They're like, what the hell are we doing in Yemen? Right. Like, what 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 what? Who? They're like, screw the Saudis. Like, what? Why are we like that? That base? Why are we wasting taxpayer dollars on this? Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. And I saw this really interesting article from Breitbart a couple days ago about Rokana. Um, Rokana is a lead sponsor of uh, Rokana is a lead sponsor of uh, of the bill in the House right now. And there was like this really positive article out of on Breitbart about Rokana is like it was like um though he's a progressive you know you know he still has interesting ideas I was like I was really surprised like whoa that's a 180 (laughs) because like the average person can't say oh well you you can't look at what's going on there and like see the the death total see the uh, the amount of just carnage that's going on see the cholera outbreak see the little kids with bones like, who are oh my god did you hear about uh amal hussein that picture of that one seven-year-old girl that came out in like the new york times a little while like last november do you remember this no what is it all right you should take a look at it and decide whether or not you actually want to put it in the video it is i'm not going to put any of these fucking, pictures in the video because... it's it's chilling dude it's really I'm, bad i'm not putting graphic pictures in in the video because I don't want to like subject. I don't want to force someone to watch it, like to to look at something. Yeah. Well, um, if you're interested and you're listening or, or watching, the the name of the girl is Amal Hussein, um, and you can find it on on New York Times uh, and probably all over the internet. Um, it's a little seven year old girl, obviously starving, and she she did pass away unfortunately, um, and it, it's just you know, this picture is so. It just captures the 
I can't even articulate this well. It's it's like how bad this war is is just encapsulated in this photograph. You know, like the human uh, um, cost of this war is just so well encapsulated in this photograph, and it's just to your point. You know, no one, no no reasonable minded person can sit back and and take a look at the you know the facts on the ground, the objective truths about this war, and be like, yeah, let's keep uh, let's keep supporting that. All right, here, I have a good way to end today. I have a goodnewsnetwork.org up right now. Let's go through the, let's go through some of the articles and share some positive experiences rather good. than depress everyone who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We got a good news. What was it? Um, goodnewsnetwork.org. I'll share my screen. Mm, okay. All right. Goodnewsnetwork.org. I don't know if this is the uh, premier good news website. This is my first time actually looking at it, but I'm hoping to have some heart to see a heartwarming story that uh, can can end this podcast on a positive note. So, all right, let's let's look around. Um, all right, so first article: school district turns unsafe. Uh, wait, unsafe. School district turns <laughs> unsafe un- cafeteria food. <laughs> unsafe cafeteria. Food. I don't know why I say I don't. I read it. Unsa- I swear to God, I read it as unsafe cafeteria food. <laughs> You're turning it into a bad story. Oh, bad. I'm uh, just so black pilled that I can't. I'm turning this good news network into a bad news network. All right. School district turns unused cafeteria food into take home meals for kids in need. That's that's cool. That's good. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, totally. To let the kids get the leftovers. <laughs> Real good news. You should, the article should be school district sends leftovers to poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's this next one? All right. Peep in on this woman's live stream of a nesting bird box she designed to look like a tiny living room. All right. Huh? Also, also really creepily worded. Like That's really weird. Peep in on this woman's live stream. Peep it's like, in what is this, on like, this? A campsite? Like, are we going <laughs> to watch this bird get undressed or some shit like that? I mean, Well, you know when the, the guy, the, the copywriters and the, the people who are writing the article, when they were doing the SEO and uh-huh. when they were tagging up the article, you know, peep in on this woman was one of the tag words. Yeah, for sure. So I have to question the person who wrote this article was probably a pervert. <laughs> All right. So uh, goodnewsnetwork.org is failing right now. Just so you know, we were two articles. Both have failed to bring any happiness. All right. Whoa, this right. one's crazy. Uber to launch new fleet of car piloted by specially trained canine drivers. Is this what the, the onion suddenly? <laughs> All right. This one's actually really interesting. We got to look at this one. Yeah. Let's find out why. This Is this the future? So you know how they say automation's going to take your jobs? Evidently, the dogs are going to take them first. Watch out, Uber drivers. I'd much rather get into a car with a, a beautiful golden retriever. Give them all the pets. All right, so Uber to launch new fleet of cars piloted by specially trained canine drivers. In a bid to attract even more customers to their platform, Uber has just announced that they will be launching a new ride service that allows passengers to request a canine driver. Huh? Yeah, when was this article written, dude? When was this posted? Does it have a Is this a real page? website? <laughs> Let's scroll down. When When is this posted? Because honestly... 
This might be an April Fool's Day joke. Because there's no April way April 1st? Is, is it April 1st? Yeah, dude. This isn't real. Okay, I was fooled. <laughs> Damn you, Good News Network. <laughs> you see how they lie to you? <laughs> did you, uh, other than this, have you? did you get fooled on April 1st? Um, I was completely fooled. Uh, no, I was not fooled. Uh... I wasn't fooled once because I already been fooled once and no one should be fooled twice. Right, this is actually, this the, is like kind of a, a fun, fun exercise, thing to, a fun exercise. All right. The point of the, of the, of the bit that we're doing is that we're taking, we're, uh, we're, we're taking the black pill from talking about such a depressing t- subject and applying it to actual good news and actual like positive stories the the more the moral of the story is to not be jaded over everything even though there are bad things because there actually are good things um that wasn't meant to be like offensive it was meant more so just to be like just to, to spread humor on uh on the subject of like investigating and doing research on on war because it does get quite taxing after a while. That's I don't right. know if you agree. No, it, it totally does. Um, it gets it gets very sad, very sad to watch and listen to. Yeah, but um, you got to remember, there's always good things that happen as well. Uh, more people are literate than ever. That's true. That is true. Infant mortality rate is, uh, you know, declining. Infant mortality rate is declining. Mm-hmm. Um. What other good things? The miracle of the internet is allowing us to have a podcast. Game of Thrones oh, is starting Game in two Thrones. weeks. How could we forget? We really got to start doing some research, dude. Um, they made Seamless. Ah, yeah. Seamless is an invention. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, well, but, um, you hear the sirens. That means that we're running out of time. That means that... Uh, <laughs> This podcast is about to be uh, locked up. <laughs> no, um, thank everyone. I thank you everyone for listening. This is probably more of a more of a unique show, um, but everyone who is listening and watching, make sure that you rate and review the podcast. Uh, we're still trying to get the ratings up. 